Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Shelf Absorbed. Uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Sarah G. And this uh, episode we have decided that it's, uh, it's all about the love. We've, uh, we've covered some of the uh, more <laughs> problematic kind of ideas of what's going on in the world. So we thought we'd uh, lighten things up a little bit in this episode. Just a little bit though. I'm sure we're going to... Uh, I'm, I'm in particular going to talk about some of the downsides uh, and challenge ideas of cinematic representations of love and romance. How, how about you? Are you are you going all in for the lovey dubbies or? I'm going to start off lovey dubby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, my you know the two books I've sort of chosen. One's really lovey dubby, and the other one's sort of lovey dubby and problematic. It's 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 life. It's love, right? Like realistic. Um, yeah, totally. I mean. I'm sitting, if I can sort of just describe where I'm sitting. I mean, I'm really excited about this episode. And so much so, I mean, did the guys who were setting up the studio know to sort of give me a red couch? Because that's exactly what I'm sitting on right now. And it feels really lovely. Yeah, yeah. I specifically requested that for you. Um, you're going to have like a proper like uh, rider next time with, uh, what's your favourite colour M&M? Purple. Purple. Then all the others will be picked out. It'd be a whole big jar of purple M&Ms just for you. Wow. See, there's so much love in the studio today. Um, I'm so excited about this episode. Uh, I feel there's, there's so much love that's needed in the world right now. Um, for, for all of us, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's, uh, it's interesting that there's this kind of idea, right, that, that love conquers all right that love is the answer that all you need is love even as the Beatles uh told us um and and I think I've always had that kind of idea in my head I I all like most of my ideas and perspectives on the world it's been completely majorly informed by kind of film and cinema um if you haven't guessed this yet from listening to me i am just really really into film uh so i i have this weird kind of dualistic antagonistic notion of love i think whereby on the one hand i think it is the answer to all of life's problems and on the other hand i have this kind of slightly fatalistic it's gonna go wrong at some point idea about it as well i think two of the most romantic films in the world are, are the terminator and the fly. The Terminator and the fly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's kind of problematic. You know, in the Terminator, I came across time for you, Sarah. It was always about you. Uh, it's a beautiful relationship. In the fly, I think Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum's relationship for the first 30 minutes is, is profound and intimate and gorgeous. But then, you know, this films like these have left the idea in my head that... You, that, that you know what's the point in having a relationship that's beautiful and intimate because at one point one of you is going to get killed by a robot from the future or you're going to gradually mutate into a fly hmm. ben you know what we can always rely on you for giving us such an interesting intake <laughs> yeah. on things well, about then, love now, I, now we've started now we've really started we're, we've warmed up we're ready to go For me, love, I find, is it's the best drug in the world, um, the, best, the best free drug in the world. Um, but it also, I find, it's also the most potent, too. Um, I mean, I love, you know, you know they, and, all, and it comes in all shapes, you know, all shades. Eh? So, you know, you love your family, you love your parents, you love your children, if you've got children, you love your friends. And then, you know, you meet that person and you fall in love, right? And like, 
I guess a couple of times and I have been in love, it's just been amazing and so intoxicating and so deep and, and, and amazing. But when it all sort of falls apart, it could be really fucking shit. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's, that's going to be reflected in our choices for today. I think it's quite interesting as well, that sort of, like you say, it comes in all shapes and, and sizes and shades. I was thinking in particular... Different shades of love. There you go. Let's wow. not let's not go to the fifty shades though. <laughs> let's, no, let's leave that one. Why not? That's what. Well, well because I've never read the book or seen the film mainly, so I, I can't really judge. But can't I'm, judge. I'm gonna... you pretty much have an idea of what. Anyway, yeah, that's another episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I, I was, what I just wanted to say was, I think it's quite interesting touching on that. That I, I was kind of thinking about how love can be can be like emotional and physical, can be like sort of sacred and profane. It can it contains these two. Uh, oppositional ideas, you know, like you can like making love, and you know that's a very physical kind of sexual thing. Could be a bit spiritual as well, but but also the idea of love and empathy for kind of humankind, which is the the thing that we really need at the moment. I think, as you said at the beginning, is Absolutely. is a more ethereal and abstract concept. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's wide ranging, definitely. Now, Ben, before we sort of do a deep dive into love. Um, I actually wanted to raise um, the point that you've actually got a bit of a following. I've had um, a few a few of our listeners sort of point out how much they 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 love the love the Ben. So I just wanted to share that with you that there's a lot of love for you out there. A bit of Ben love. A bit of Ben love. I think you have a bit of a fan club. Well, that's well, that's wonderful to know. Thanks. <laughs> now, um, I guess do you want me to sort of. Do you want me to kind of yeah, let's 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 let's, let's listen to your let's hear about your your first book over, choice. Over to Sarah Jean, I'll sort of let you sort of recover from the blushing from that. Well, thank point. you. Stop it. You're the colour of my couch right now. Anyway, <laughs> um, so do you know what? While we're searching for this podcast, I actually um, I put actually put it out to some of my followers, not some, well, all the followers um, on my Instagram page, um, to sort of ask, got their, got get their take, you know, like. Books about love that they've sort of enjoyed, just to kind of, you know, pull, you know, pull the net out and see books that, you know, kind of pull everyone's sort of fancies. And I got some amazing feedback. So um, one of one, there were like these, a lot. Of, what kept coming back were books on poetry. Like I'm not really a big poetry fan, and I feel like I should sort of widen the net, widen the net a bit, and maybe look into poetry more. But um, one guy that kept coming up um, was a guy called Pablo Neruda. Oh, yes. yes. Um, and so I wanted to sort of, if you wouldn't mind, say one of his poems, one of his love poems. Go for it. Just yeah, he's, sort a, of really he's a beautiful warm us up. poet. Oh, do you, have you read any of his poems? I've, I have read some of his stuff in the past, yeah. Um, I, I got in, I was recommended uh, Pablo Neruda and Khalil Gibran many, Ooh. many, many years ago. I can't remember any of their stuff right now. I think Khalil Gibran had a whole thing about the, the eyes being windows to the soul. Um, so they're both very kind of quite beautiful, quite romantic, not yeah. necessarily just in terms of love, but romantic in terms of a romance period. Oh, absolutely. Poetry. I mean, I, I, I loved, I mean, I, from what, I've, what, I, what I have read and what I'm about to read out, I mean, there's just obviously, there's pages and pages of a lot of his poetry. I'm going to read out this verse. Drunk with pines and long kisses, like summer, I steer the first sail of the roses, bent towards the death of the fin day, stuck into my solid marine madness. Pale and lashed to my ravenous water, I cruise in the sour smell of the naked climate, still dressed in grey and bitter sounds and a sad crest of abandoned spray. Hardened by passions, I go mounted on my one wave, lunar, solar, 
burning and cold all at once, becalmed in the throat of the fortunate isles that are white and sweet as cool hips. In the moist night, my garment of kisses trembles, charged to insanity with electric currents. Heroically, divided into dreams and intoxicating roses practicing on me, upstream in the midst of the outer waves, your parallel body yields to my arms like a fish infinitely fastened to my soul, quick and slow in the energy under the sky. Beautiful stuff, man. How amazing is that? Yeah, it's really cool. Doesn't and that just turn you on? It really turns me on. Uh, I, I'm loving the uh, the disparity there, the, the descriptions of, of his experience as lunar and solar and hot and cold. You know, it kind of hits upon that diametrically opposed experience of love that we can that we can have that we've discussed already and will continue to discuss thanks ben um so no biggie. one of the <laughs> so so i've chosen two books um one of which is not yet out um it's by nick hornby high fidelity fantastic british author mm -hmm. um it's called just like you and it's out next month I've been really lucky to have been gifted it by penguin random house and i feel really really lucky and so yeah, so I, this I, is like hot off the presses. Hot off the press. Um, and I devoured it in one sitting. Um, I've been reading a lot. I've, obviously, I read a lot of books and I talk about them. Um, not just here, also on my um, Instagram page. Um, and this was basically a welcomed escapism and just warm and cuddly and fuzzy. All about love, um, complicated in its ways. Um, I read it on Sunday um, after sort of a hectic weekend. It was one of those books that you curl up on a sofa with a warm cup of tea, you start reading it and you just don't want to stop. So basically you have a 42-year-old mum who is in the middle of a really sort of yucky divorce. She's a high school teacher, she's got two kids. Her husband was an alcoholic and a cokehead, basically, which is pretty much what has sort of precipitated the divorce proceedings. Mm -hmm. um, they're not living together. She's at that point in her life where she's obviously she's going through this divorce and she doesn't quite know where it's all kind of where she's where she's at, you know, emotionally, like all her friends are sort of married, happily married or like, you know, happily married, um, inverted sort of commas. Not everyone's happily married. Um, and she finds herself sort of falling in love with a 22 year old black kid um, who works in the local butchers who she sees on a Saturday who lives at home with his mum, occasionally sort of is a soccer a football coach uh, for a local boys football team. On the sides, maybe a bit of DJing. He'd love to do that sort of full time. So the most unlikely sort of person she's ending up basically falls in love with. And I have to say, obviously, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but you know, I'm going to be reading passages from this book. But the point when they finally get together, I squealed. I squealed. <laughs> I squealed. I was so happy. And I remember like my son going, Mommy, what's happened? I'm like, they kissed. They have kissed. Amazing. Um, and it's one of those books that you find, you can so see Richard Curtis kind of picking up. And I know everyone's probably going to be listening to you saying that, going and thinking, oh, love actually, which is, you know, a love-hate kind of film. And I think I remember you sort of, frowning at me when I sort of suggested, what about Bad Blood, Love Actually? And you were like, no. But this book <laughs> is basically set, it's kind of pre, it's pre-Brexit, the referendum's coming up. It's got everything in it. You've got ageism, race, classicism, but more importantly, love. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And I'm gonna read a few passages from there. 
because there's a point, obviously, the part where they've kissed and they're gonna they're gonna do it, right? They're gonna do it. And the main protagonist, so it's sort of Lucy, Lucy, sort of describes how the first couple of times that they do it, um, it's not it's not great. It's a bit awkward, as it usually is, right? When you first meet someone, you meet, you kiss, and you know the first couple of goes might not be. You know, everyone's learning each other's bodies and styles. You've got to ease yourself in, to, as it were. <clears throat> literally ease yourself up. Careful now. I know my mum listens to this. But anyway, as you were, let's keep going. Um, not, oh, God, the innuendos. Anyway, I'll just keep <laughs> going. And so, um, but then you, you, so you, you basically, it's all awkward, but then you reach the golden stage. And I, and I love that because it's so true, everything she said. But I'm, so yeah, so I love that part. And then I'm just basically going to go back and reads a, a, a bit where she's sort of talking about, you know, the things that you might look for in your ideal love, right? So there's a passage when it's Lucy talking and she goes, bad hygiene trumped everything. Well, so did unkindness, criminal records for, oh, or even me, merely rumours of domestic violence and unacceptable views on race. Oh, and a dependency on drink and drugs. Although that went without saying, given what had happened. So yeah, I mean, like, if you had, if you like had an ideal, did you like ever have an ideal? Because obviously, you're you and am I allowed to say Miller? Yeah. Mila, yeah, Mila? of course. Yeah. Well, she's uh, she seems to be the ideal. I've had a I've had a very checkered past relationship wise. Um, I've uh, a, a very immature um, short term relationships. This is already. My longest-term relationship, Milo and I, have been together two years. Nice. Um, and still blissfully happy. Yay. Hey, baby. Uh, Hi. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, I, I, I think this is my first proper grown-up relationship. Uh, it took me 40, over 40 years to find it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I do think some of the things that that um, that I talked about at the at the beginning really affected my ability to have a healthy relationship. For bad choices, certainly, in terms of in terms of my partners. In what um, way? Oh, I I don't know. Just 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 bad bad matches. I guess you got to get a good match, right? Uh, um, well, how would you? How are you meeting them? Like in the pub? In yeah, the just all pub? over the place, man. Oh. All over the place. You know. Not that I'm wildly promiscuous, but I'm, you know, quite social. Uh, I, I, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think in terms of what we talked about last week, and this is nice, isn't it, to throw back to previous discussions, my anxiety. Uh, I, I, I chose, I had bad choices with people who didn't perhaps understand or work well with, with some of my issues around anxiety. And uh, Mila does. She's very understanding. We, we have a lot of similarities. We both work in the same uh, industry. You know, we're both university lecturers, so we understand some of the stresses and strains of the academic system and semesters and that kind of thing. But we're also kind of very different as well. I think that whereas I am uh, hugely over-analytical to the point of riddling myself with anxiety, she, she has the ability to let things go a lot more. And rather than contrasting in a bad way, the, these things kind of work well together i think it's important in relationships to find someone that is just different enough but just the same enough right to get to hit that moment uh what did you call it the golden stage the golden stage the golden stage which i guess is it, it, it is a physical thing once you discover and understand each other's bodies like you say but very importantly for me is the is the emotional thing and that's something i don't think i've ever really really achieved before like i like i have at the moment 
and that's what makes that's what makes this relationship I think the healthiest I've I've ever had. That's lovely. I'm so glad that you've found love and it and it's all working. Um, I guess for me, uh, if I look back into like my past to the relationships, um, yeah, my late husband was probably well, I you know my first proper love. Um, uh, he's also not around anymore in this on this earth. Um, but I just remember sort of sparks flying sort of immediately, sort of going into walking to into a house party and he was like the hottest guy there and he was just super cheeky and we sort of just had banter from like the get go. Like I I love I love laughter, I love someone with brains, um, I love the cheekiness and it really does help if you read books. In fact that's kind of really, really almost it's essential. Um, but just also having a laugh. Um, because at the end of the day, when all's said and done, you know, like, you know, we're all going to get old and fraily and, and things happen in life that are good and bad, but through the bad stuff, you want someone that's kind of not just going to be on your side, but it's going to sort of hold your hand and sort of look at you and go from time to time and have a laugh with basically. Um, there's lots of qualities and I feel like when I look back there and then he actually ended up cheating on me, which is that put an end to that. Um, yeah, I know, bastard. Um, but I kind of look back at that and I think I was so kind of, the it was just so intense. Well, it was, but like it was this love that was just so intense and that like thinking about him, looking at him just turned me on. Um, and even after actually him cheating on me, I still sort of, I mean, that was a really bad period. I sort of pretty much lived on vodka and, and um, cigarettes for maybe six months and listen to Amy Winehouse a lot. Um, but it's, it's always a learning presence. And I always feel like at the end of any relationship, there's there's a lot of growth that can come out of it as well. You know, like there's a lot of self-reflection um, and there's also sort of reflection on, well, why, what is it about that that didn't work? What what worked and what didn't work? And what, what, what are you gonna take into this learning for the next time? Because there will be a next time, you know, like, um, yeah, my late husband passed away and, you know, there has, yeah, there's, there's been a relationship since then and that's not anymore for reasons I'm obviously not going to go into. But it's like, I feel like having sort of looked back, reflected on that, like I feel it's sad and it's it's awful. Any breakup's sort of awful. But I feel the person I was maybe a couple of months ago when I sort of wrapped that up to the person I am now sitting on this red couch looking at you, talking to everyone about love, um, there's been a lot of learning in it and I kind of I went to a yoga retreat the other weekend and I was sitting on the yoga mat and it was like 7 a.m. sun's rising and I just suddenly had this epiphany Ben it was like hang on so it was, yeah so the whole theme about the, the yoga weekend was about letting go and so we were sort of tasked to sort of write down things that we felt that we needed to sort of let go um, and I just suddenly had this epiphany on my yoga mat where it was kind of like well what is it Sarah about the relationships you've been in that you kind of want to let go because obviously, you know, I, I would love to find love again. Like I'm a really loving, giving, happy person. And it freaks me out to think that I'm going to be single for what, the next 40 years? Hell no. So it was like, um, I suddenly had an epiphany of just these patterns. Like my, um, my father, who I've got in a strange relationship with for all sorts of reasons. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't very kind to my mum. He cheated on her. He, it was just basically not kind and so when I reflect back on sort of my relationships where in my yeah from my relationships it's like well hang on 
these are the things that your dad did to your mum. And so I've obviously been on this, the guys I've sort of gone for have obviously had this quality. So then it's like, oh crap, Sarah, you really actually haven't dealt with your daddy issues. So it was a real amazing epiphany. So then I was like, right, well, that's, that's the crux of it all, isn't it? So now, since then, I am, it's like been an absolute light show for me. And I feel really happy in myself. I'm very sort of, I feel happy in that, I feel confident moving forward that like, right, okay, well, maybe someone who's not as good looking, the guys I've been going for, not as good looking, really intelligent. I'm not saying I'm not gonna not see that in someone, but I give other people a bit of a chance, you know? Mm. I guess is what I'm trying to say in a really rambled, rambled way. <laughs> um, but I guess, again, like going back to, you know, the, the qualities you find in Miller, for example, you know, when we're young and, you know, love and it's really intense and, you know, you want all these sort of superficial things. But like I said, like, you want to be with someone as, as life kind of goes on and this crisis is thrown at you. That's basically like if the ship's on fire or the house is on fire, that person's going to be the one to pull you and whoever else out of that house. Do you know what I mean? Not someone's going to leave you in the fire and just be like, see ya, that's been fun. It's going to be like that person's going to be right on your, your, your right-hand person through thick and thin. Whether or not you decide to go down the marriage route, partner, whatever, that's what you want in a quality of a person, someone that's really going to be by your side, is going to fight your corner. Um, and those are, the, for me, and stability and trust, those are the things that are really going to shine through. So if you're listening to this and you feel like you can be my Obama and I can be your Michelle, then give Sarah a call on... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Yeah, it's about support, really, isn't it? That's, I think, uh, uh, what, you were, what you're getting at there. You like the kind of... It's, nice, it's good to have a laugh. It's good to enjoy each other's company. It's good to have fun. But uh, what you really need is that to be balanced with, with support, especially as you sort of get a bit older. Well, absolutely. And like, you know, we're in the situation now, we're still living in a pandemic and there's people still listening to this in freaking lockdown. Now, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I was just using an eye through lockdown. And, you know, I've already I've already talked about how we kind of got through that. But I mean, I I'm the longer I stay sort of single and in my like happy space in terms of like living independently. I wonder how it's going to be like for me when I do meet someone and we have to sort of start living together and co-parenting like there's going to be there's going to be issues there's going to be an adjustment period isn't there because i do like my own space and i like just getting up and going and not having to answer to anyone and just cleaning up my own shit um so it's like yeah it's a bit i, I guess my point being like doing if you can kind of survive living together intensely under a pandemic in a lockdown god i think you know, if, you are, if you've not asked someone to marry them or whatever, God, your life partner is just sitting right there next to you in their tracky dacks and spoon feeding you ice cream for a tub because God damn, these are really stressful times. If you can, if you can, if you can do that, you can, man, it's set. You're set. Set. Set, set. You're painting some very vivid images here. Yeah. <laughs> set, set. I did mean set, not sex. So um, shall we uh, shall we move on to your second book choice now? Yeah, sure. Um, my second book choice um, is by Tayari Jones, who's one of my favourite authors of the moment. She... I know nothing about this author. Nick Hornby I've heard of before. So if you could give a, a quick biography. Sure. Tayari Jones has written Silver, Silver Sparrow. 
and that's her most recent book. And American Marriage, um, I think is one of the books on Obama's summer reads from last year. I may be corrected, but but basically she's a fantastic storyteller. And a lot of her books, well, the two of the books that I've read, read I've written, I've, I've read. So I'm all sort of like all flustered. I think it's the red couch and the fact that there's a lot of love um, being spoken about right now. Um, so American Marriage is basically about the newlyweds, Celestial and Roy, who are the embodiment of the American dream for black people. They are married, they're young, he's an executive, she's a bourgeois artist, boho-y. Um, and sort of one day, Roy is basically arrested and sentenced for a crime he has not committed. And he's sentenced away for 12 years. So now it sounds a little bit James Baldwin, yeah, yeah. Bill Street could talk. Shades of Bill Street, definitely. Totally. So it's kind of like those modern day ones with a twist. Obviously, Celeste initially is very bereft. Um, and she basically starts to find comfort and support in her best friend, Andre, who's also happens to be Roy's best man at the wedding. Now, Andre is her childhood friend and is obviously, or not obviously, it's not obvs, but it's kind of obvs actually, has obviously had a thing for Celestial. You know, like she's beautiful, she's boho, she's intelligent, she's an artiste. So Roy's shipped off to prison, which is for prison, which is awful. And Andre sort of slowly withers in, I guess, is the word. Is that the word? And they basically start having a relationship, which is which sucks. Because there's all sorts of ways in which you can kind of see it. Like, oh, here's Celeste, 12 years in prison. Like, you know, the only time you're going to see your loved one is through across, you know, yeah, across the screen or, I mean, yeah, that's where how Hollywood plays it, across the table. It just throws up everything. Everything's just thrown into absolute disarray. And you are going to, we are human. We are going to want that human touch, the love, we want to support. There's everything in this, right? And, um, but then Roy's case gets overturned and he's up for early release. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And then his father, who goes to pick him up. Um, so I'm just going to read you a little a paragraph from Roy. So basically it's the book, sort of there's Roy narrating and then the Celestial and then there's Andre and it sort of flits between the three characters. And so Roy's just been released from prison. And while he's been in prison, actually, his mum, who he, like, loved, um, who also actually also used to question his relationship with Celestial. I think I don't think they quite like Celestial. Mm. So this is Roy, and he's just his dad's just gone to pick him up. He goes, about a year ago, in the throes of hopelessness, I destroyed every letter she ever sent me, except for her carefully composed Dear John. And yes, Walter warned me against wading. Walter, his guy, he's shared, he's shared a prison cell with. Walter warned me against wading all that scented paper into a bowl and plunking it into the metal commode. Why I chose to save the one letter that hurt me most, I don't know. But now, on my first night of breathing unfettered air, here I was about to read it again. It could I, if I could have stopped myself, I would have. Unfolding the page carefully so that it wouldn't have given away at the softened creases, I ran my fingers under the words, feeling for the hope I sometimes found sheltered there. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. And then for Celeste, I mean, you know, and then Celeste goes on to read, Ours was a love story, the kind that's not supposed to happen to black girls anymore. It's beautiful. And then, you know, she then goes on to talk about the sort of the timing 
the circumstances around love, which I think is also a really lovely sort of theme that we sort of can touch on before we start talking about your films. So much of life is timing and circumstance. I see that now. Roy came into my life at a time when I needed a man like him. Would I have galloped into this love affair if I'd never left Atlanta? I don't know. But how you feel love and understand love are two very different things. Now, so many years down the road, I recognised that I was alone and adrift and that he was lonely in the way that only a ladies' man can be. He reminded me of Atlanta and I reminded him of the same. All these were reasons why we were drawn to each other. But standing with him outside of Maroons, we were past reason. Human, human emotion is beyond comprehension, smooth and uninterrupted, like an orb made of blown glass. So it's, it's, not, it's not a lovey-dovey one with soft around the edges. I mean, in just, you know, just like you, like Lucy, Lucy and Joseph do obviously have a few bumps. But here we have uh, a beautiful, young American couple whose marriage is basically been just blitzed beyond recognition to something that's completely out of their control. And here we have Roy that's basically been released early and he comes out and finds that his wife is now with his best friend mm. and vice versa. And does he fight for his marriage or does he let it go or what happens? I mean, I'm not, I don't, if, I'm not going to give you any spoilers for those yeah, who haven't read it. You've got to read it. the book to find out. Yeah, but it's just, again, it kind of, it's a sucker punch, right? Like here she is talking about timing and circumstances and questioning whether, you know, was it timing? You know, was it about timing? The things that she was initially sort of attracted to about Roy, you know, does it stand or would they have survived if he hadn't gone to prison? I mean, there's all these questions that are sort of thrown into play. And I don't have those answers. And that's what's, that's the beauty of T.R.E. Jones. She leaves, she throws you these sort of, litter bombs that you're then left to sort of question and and I love it I hope she's just great and she does the same in Silver Sparrow and it's this is not the platform to talk about Silver Sparrow but oh my god I love it and um, where you're just given these three different viewpoints and storylines she does you know where you're like wow you just two different viewpoints and so you know are you on Roy's side or you're on Celestial's side or you're on Andre's side you know it's I don't know I don't have the answers and questions and maybe there are no answers to any of it it's just a case of it's just is, and love is what it is. Love is not straightforward, it's complicated. And, and maybe we should just take that and how it is, right? Like you, you fall in love with someone and we change, we change as human beings, you know, like who we are when we first started out and is not who we sort of are when we, if we survive, if we survive the journey <laughs> together, it's not, we are not the same people. A lot happens and a lot changes. And I guess that's, Maybe my taking point before I sort of leave, you know, throw the mic over to you or you sort of take over because it's just been about Sarah G so far, as it always is. Um, it's that it's just it's there's many, many layers, you know. Um, but I guess going back to if you can find someone that is ready to fight your corner and sort of take you for who you are, no matter who you are, and no matter what it is, then bam, you got a keeper. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, cool, man. Uh, that's two really, two really interesting choices. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's best. It's best that we always do it this way round. Basically, I just let you run with your ideas and get it all off your chest until you sort of exhaust yourself a little bit, and then I, I step in and wrap it up. Is that ever possible, Sarah? <laughs> Sarah G exhausting herself? I, I'm absolutely sure that you could keep going. Uh, I think it's a, it's a you just get a little thirsty though, and uh, and then it's time to hand over the mic. Um, yeah, so uh, like I said, two really interesting choices. Um, my choices, uh, I, I tried to kind of theme them. I, I, there was a whole bunch of movies that I wanted to talk about uh, that we might do some honourable mentions at the end uh, here. In the end, I, uh, I decided that I wanted to uh, to pick a, a film, a, a heterosexual film and uh, a gay film. Um, although weekend it's not really a gay film it's 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 a, a universal film i'd say with just with gay characters um and uh also i picked a film which is about the beginning of a relationship and and a film that's about the end of a relationship so that's my little narrative arc there the first film is uh as i've mentioned is called weekend uh written directed and edited by andrew hay hi h-a-i-g-h Hey, I'd go for hey. 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 Andrew, hey. Hey. Um, uh, so it's uh, an absolutely beautiful uh, film, really, really intimate representation of um, the, the couple meeting uh, on a Friday night in a club and spending 48 hours together before one of them goes to live in Portland, Oregon on the Sunday. Uh, it's a wonderfully intimate delicate, tender love story. Um, it's helped immensely by the way that it's shot. Um, ordinarily on big kind of film productions, this is a very small kind of tight, intimate production. On big film productions, you have things called something called coverage, which means you shoot every scene with usually three three different cameras. And, and in post-production, the editor will kind of jump around and choose where the actors look best and where they're performing best and where the lighting is best. Um, this film doesn't do that. It uses one camera for, for every scene. And so it's all long takes and there's no cuts. And that leads to, you know, cutting and editing could be a very interesting art when it uh, when you juxtapose and, and contrast different images together to create a meaning in the mind of the viewer. Uh, just basic montage theory. But the long take is, has, a, has a real emotional impact as well I think and this is a film that really beautifully uses it lots of close-ups lots of long takes so you really get into the world of this relationship it's the the, the main characters are Russell and Glenn Russell is a, a perhaps a more slightly more uncomfortable with his, with his identity as a gay man uh, he grew up in foster homes so he never really had the kind of what he describes as the rite of passage that gay people have of coming out to their parents uh, and there's a very beautiful, beautiful scene where they discuss this in bed together. He's a little more reserved, a little more anxious, you might say. There's a, there's a wonderful scene very early on, the first scene, where he's hanging out with all his uh, straight friends um, before he goes to the gay club and, uh, and meets um, Glenn. And uh, like he's wearing a hat and one of his friends drunkly takes the hat off and he sort of awkwardly 
playing with his hair and you just sense this little bit of discomfort but he's really lovely at the same time full of love mm. uh, and then he goes to this club and there's this song playing this big cheesy house number I got so much love to give <laughs> <laughs> so I really like the music in this film as well yeah he meets Glenn and they spend the night together and and, and like I say the weekend after that hence the title of the film and Glenn is a, a lot more outspoken almost combative uh, about his sexuality he gets into arguments about about it, uh, uh, heated debates with with people while they're out and about over the course of the weekend. But also, they talk a lot about gay identity in in their relationship in in Russell's flat when they're spending all this time together. Um, you know, drinking and uh, sexing and doing recreational drugs and this kind of thing. So it's a real kind of it's a nice uh, sort of quite working class. Uh, kind of approach them making cups of tea uh, and then doing cocaine and <laughs> all these sorts of all these sorts of things. In fact, I noticed early on that that um, Glenn is wearing a T-shirt that says Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, which is the name of a a very kind of important uh, British New Wave film. I think it was a play as well, but it, uh, you know about working class. It came out in the sixties, so it's like hetero kind of promiscuous lifestyle, this kind of thing. But yeah, the 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 film, the, the the basic narrative kind of mechanism, the thing that drives the film is is these is their slightly different identities and approaches towards their identity. Um, you could describe it as slightly as in terms of queer theory, um, Russell kind of sort of might represent what what's called homonormativity, which is where. Um, gay people seek to kind of replicate heterosexual behaviour, so like get married and have kids and all this. There's this argument that gay people should have those rights, you know, as as is very kind of common in in culture. But there are some elements of the gay community who say we we shouldn't do that. That's just us copying heterosexual, heteronormative culture. Mm. So we should we should be seeking to forge our own identity. So this is these are the basic kind of oh. contrasting views yeah. that exist in queer theory. And, and and queer theory is a very interesting thing anyway, I think. Uh, the LGBTQ kind of community as a community of diversity and difference necessarily has a lot of kind of contrasting views on things so it's it's interesting to look at them as a as as a community of difference i think our famous queer theorist said that you know community all together sharing the same values yeah. but different so disagreeing yeah. it's a it's an interesting concept and this film plays out those ideas through their discussions um and it's it's just beautiful i really really like it man and i can't recommend it enough oh i want to i want to i want to watch that movie yeah, yeah, man, and it's British. I don't think we've done anything. But you, you've, well, Nick Hornby's British. Oh, Nick isn't Hornby it? is straight yeah. down the line English. Th this is my first British film, I think. So, so yeah, yeah, it's good to have have a little bit of that in there. It's funny that you mentioned Richard Curtis earlier on. Did did he do Notting Hill? I think he did. Yes, right? he did. So they they're talking about this, uh, uh, and at one point they're like, "Oh, we're going to have our Notting Hill moment now." Ah, uh, so, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but uh, you know, I I I I won't say very much more about it. Other other than I think it's really really important for uh, that that it's not that you don't see it as a gay film. Like I said, it 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 confronts universal issues, differences of opinion on your identity, getting to know someone, knowing that that person is going away and wondering how much to commit yourself to this new passionate kind of uh, relationship. Um and it's really it's really interesting as well as a as a heterosexual male, I think to watch these things just like as a as a white Man, it's interesting to watch things about race and explore those different oh, worlds. Oh, absolutely. And we talked about in our first 
in our first podcast how you know we need to explore these marginalized uh, groups and identities and worlds oh, that, that, totally. that we might not otherwise yeah no for sure so yeah there's a, there's a quote in it where glenn who's a, who's an art student says uh, of one of his projects that straight people won't go and see it uh, he says because he's got nothing to do with their world and i think that's kind of a uh, a, a bit of a tragic commentary on on the way people isolate themselves and how they should explore more diverse art worlds. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. As, as you know, there's been an absolute upsurge in the amount of people looking at for sort of literature written by um, people of colour as a result of the the race fights that you know went on earlier this year. Because I mean, a lot of the books, a lot of the literature, and that's all kind of caused by the publishing houses out there have been written by, you know, the ones that get kind of published have been written by sort of your middle class sort of white folk, right? Mm. And so then if you are just reading a specific type of literature, then you're only going to get a certain sort of viewpoint. And so what I'm loving right now is basically the upsurge on more sort of black writers getting a nod because, damn it, we can write a damn good book. Um, we do sort of need to calm it down on the sort of trauma, slave, rape, sexual abuse sort of themes i think we've got a lot more happier sort of themes and stuff to talk about and i'm seeing a lot more of that kind of coming through which is great because i i want to i want to keep reading those books and you know screaming about them on my on my instagram page but yeah i mean there's a lot more literature coming out now so within you know the lgbt kind of community i mean i'm one is it carmela um i'll i'll, I'll find the name too but it's you know on uh, a lesbian couple who, um, what lesbian, yeah, one half of a lesbian couple, and they've basically experienced domestic violence on a really hardcore way, and it's like it's not, it's not something that you would ever even think about, right? Mm. You just think, oh, okay, well, woman, woman, man, man, everyone's gonna get on then, right? But yeah. no, I mean, she, and it's based on a true story. She literally um, is beaten to pulp. It's awful. I mean, I haven't read it yet, but it's like, oh. Yeah. I was very interested when I first came here and I listened to a talk by Diva, Noeline, her name was, uh, who, who works for Diva, which is uh, Diverse Voices in Action, a super yeah. based company, a yeah. uh, charity that, yeah. that uh, it's LGT, uh, LBT, sorry. Um, they, the, the G's can, can uh, fight for themselves on that one. Uh, but it's, it was very interesting. She was talking about, um, you know, violence within same-sex relationships, yeah. within lesbian relationships. And, and I asked her a question about it afterwards because in my ignorance, I was kind of surprised by it as you, as you were. But it's about prejudice, uh, introverted prejudice and self-hate, you know, that, oh. that because they're not socially accepted and they turn that hatred on each other. In my, again, you know, in the little that I know about it from, from listening to that talk. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, Carmen Maria Machado's book, In the Dream House. I've got it on my bookshelf to read, but at the moment I'm obviously taking a break from trauma. Books. Yeah, no, actually, my, uh, a colleague of mine um, uh, <laughs> has actually done a podcast, um, like a video about cast, a review of the... Of, yeah, of the yeah Chris Lloyd, his name is. Yeah, I give him a little nature. Hey, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's it basically, she details this horrendous relationship with but she was brutally abused mm -hmm. um so obviously not one to read for me or anyone else maybe if you take to fancy but it's not the one for me but like i what i guess the point going back is that it's it's good to sort of widen our breadth of it's only by reading and it's only by watching movies that are not straight down the line mediocre that we're going to basically widen our viewpoints on things Mm. And that's my broaden point. our horizons. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Ben. No biggie.
Um, What's the next film? The next film is uh, called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And it's one of my, uh, well, I say this a lot and I get ribbed mercilessly for it, but it's one of my favourite films of all time. It's brilliantly creative. It's written by Charlie Kaufman, who's written uh, like being John Malkovich, uh, Synecdoche, New York. He wrote and directed himself. Uh, he, he wrote this film and Michelle Gondry, who is a brilliantly creative director, um, uh, brought it to the screen, who realised it. It stars Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, amongst others. It's got a great cast, Mark Ruffalo. Um, Oh, I like um, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, really Elijah Wood. Um, it's got that guy Tom something. <laughs> Seriously, terrible. I, you know, I would. You would think that I know all of these things. Would Come you like in me prepared. To you could do. Yes. Right, okay, uh, in the meantime, I'll talk about why I chose it. it the basic premise is uh, it's kind of it, it, it edges on science fiction in that it's about a relationship that breaks up. Um, and the the girl, uh, Clementine, played by Kate Winslet, decides to have this radical new surgery where her, her memories of him are deleted from her brain. Um, and he finds out and he wants the same process. He goes and demands it from this company, Lacuna. Um, and the mo most of the film take place inside his head, trying to hide, realising that he doesn't want to delete these memories, despite how painful they are. Um, because it was, you know, they're, they're worth it in the long run. Tom Wilkinson was the name, yeah, he plays the Doctor. Um, and also the girl... <laughs> Chris, Kirsten Dunst, Kirsten Dunst, of course. I'm sure we can edit this together into a seamless... Uh, maybe not. Anywho, so as I say, it, a lot of it takes place in terms of the, his memories and, and dreams and reflections on uh, on his relationship as they are zapped out of um, out of his brain. It's a fantastically innovative, creative film, um, and really, really deeply moving as well. Um, the music, again, such an important part of, of films, it, it is brilliant. It opens up with um, Everybody's Gotta love, Learn Sometime, a mm. cover by Beck, a really slowed down, mellow version. We probably, you remember the, the Baby D version. <laughs> from the 90s right uh, but it was originally directed by, it was originally created by uh, who wrote it who wrote it it was the the corgis or something uh, again i really could could have come better prepared it's a, it's an it's an 80s film uh, uh, oh my gosh i'm all over the shop it's an 80s song uh but yeah it starts with that uh, uh, and then it, it gets into the the main the meat of the film uh and this kind of medical process the basic message of the film is that you shouldn't... It's interesting that you talked about letting go earlier on. I think there is definitely a distinction between letting go and repressing or erasing, you know? So this film is is suggesting that um, the, a process of breaking up shouldn't be about just erasing the person, erasing that history um, from your experience. It's about growing and learning, as you already said. Um you know, I, I I won't give away too much about the film, even though it's again, it's another, it's kind of an old one. It's back in the noughties. Uh so I imagine most people have seen it. But if you haven't, I, I, I'm not going to spoil too much for you. Um, it's it's really it's just very beautiful. I talked in the first week about how much I love color coding and communicating and symbolism via color. Clementine 
the female character Kate Winslet changes her hair colour all the time and it kind of matches like the seasons of their relationship in his memory uh, so she, when he meets her she starts off green so she's represented this kind of force of renewal and because he's all depressed and, and this kind of comes back I think to the ideas I was talking about how you have this idea of love when you meet someone and you fall in love with them you think they're going to save you man you think they're going to be everything and you're you know the great redeemer of your life and you invest them with this all these magical qualities that are completely unrealistic and that and they can't possibly as a as a flawed human being like the rest of us can't possibly live up to and and that can be the beginning and of the end of, of a relationship i think and I, it took me quite a while to to learn that particular one. Oh yeah absolutely i mean you're not going to get you're, you know, the person that you fall in love with or you're with is not, it's not going to be your confidant, your, your comedian, your, your saviour, your cook, your, 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 your bum wiper. Like, you're not going to get all of that in that <laughs> Maybe one not until person. you're really old. Not until you're really old, but that's what you sign up for. Um, but you're not going to get that in, like, that one person. It's just way too much pressure. Mm. Um, you know, if you want a bit of gossip or a bit of laugh, like, you've got your friends... If you want a bit of a cuddle and you're not really getting a cuddle, I mean, that there should be the cuddler. But, you know, there's just different outlets for you to get various things. And I think it's just too much of an onus if you're feeling like you're going to get everything, that one miracle package in that one person. Yeah, yeah. Cuddles should be for partners, I think. Yeah, H- hugs. Yeah. You can get your hugs elsewhere. No, you but there's a fine line between a hug and a cuddle. Yeah, you can you can get you can get that not just from your one person though. No, you know you might be with someone that's not much of a cuddler. Is what I guess is my point. Oh, I'm not sure that'd work for me. I'm terribly tactile. Yeah, it wouldn't work for me either. Um, but it's I mean it's interesting you you chose those movies, Ben. Um, I would have maybe thrown in Marriage Story. Yeah, we, we both talked about this a little bit, didn't we? It's, wow, it's a beautiful um, a beautiful film by. Uh, Noah Baumbach, who's who's a great writer-director. He's got a real knack for realistic dialogue, man. And some of the scenes and the arguments, which were kind of a, a, a reflection on his breakup with Jennifer Jason Lee, I think, yeah. I mean, really that... stayed with you, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. There's that scene. You remember the scene? It's like, you know, so they've, they've, I mean, they've sort of started off kind of like, yeah, we're just going to have this kind of, kind of, you know, what's that term that Gwyneth Paltrow uses? Conscious, conscious uncoupling. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it. I guess they, these guys, these two feel like they're going to go down the conscious uncoupling route um, and basically realise that actually, no, it's not going to work. Um, we're going to, let's just, I think it was Scarlett Johansson sort of like, no, we're going to throw in some lawyers. And they do. And uh, and, and it's at that point that sort of the film, the film sort of turns. I mean, it does start off where she's, She's talking about, she's, she's about to see the council, aren't they, for the first time. And she's reeling off all the positive qualities that she, that she loves about her, her soon-to-be ex-husband. And it starts out, it's beautiful. But then I guess fast forward and they're realising, actually, no, we're going to need the lawyers. And there's this unreal scene where they're basically having it out. And I guess it's the first time that they've been able to really have it out with each other. And they are not... They're not, they're not, they're not messing around. I mean, they are throwing some serious verbal punches. And, you know, it's possibly one of the most gut-wrenching scenes I've seen in a movie and in a really, really long time. Like, I've obviously not gone through a divorce. I mean, I can't even imagine, I just can't imagine. Um, but from what I've heard, people I know who have been through divorce, it's just, it's just gutting. And just watching these two literally slay each other verbally. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I cried like mm. every time I watched it. And I, I thought, I watched it the other night actually, and I was just, just fast forwarded it to that scene and you're like, 
it just it's just everything in there because it's like this one person that you've loved and you thought you're gonna be with you've shared a child with and they're not gonna be that person anymore and you're having to discuss some really intimate details in a court of law mm. and if all goes tits up then you might even lose your child i mean there's a lot on the line here so yeah that scene and and i imagine i mean a lot of people have to go through that um there's plenty millions and millions and scenes of that in 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 households and you just think wow yeah, gut-wrenching. The divorce rates are pretty high, aren't they, these days? Well, they will be after this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, another, another kind of um, little nods to films that, we, uh, that, we, that I wanted to talk about, but in the end uh, decided not to. Um, Letter from an Unknown Woman, which is an old uh, black-and-white movie directed by Max Offels, uh, is about uh, this kind of obsessive adoration of this young girl as she grows into womanhood for a musician that she's that she's wildly in love with, and it's a very sort of you when you understand the kind of nuances and the way that it's being filmed, uh, it's a very kind of cynical um, look at how at blind adoration, you know, and commitment and and that kind of thing. Uh, highly recommended. A letter from an unknown woman. Also, In the Mood for Love, which is a Hong Kong film by Wong Kar Wai, which is about uh, a couple who uh, live in the same building and realise that their husband and wife are having an affair with each other. Oh. And they get together and they walk around Hong Kong in these beautiful outfits. It's set in the 60s. Wow. Uh, and they discuss and they try and recreate how their re respective partners had this affair. Yeah. So they're trying to put themselves in the position of these of their partner even though they don't really fully understand their partner or their motivations it's a very complicated uh representation of a representation performance of a performance you know and i love it it's sumptuously beautifully shot and, and i can't recommend that enough either um uh, finally uh, a film I saw just uh, just last week, uh, The Lunchbox, a Bollywood movie. Uh, a very nice, um, very tender story about a correspondence that begins um, via this uh, in kind of crazy system in Mumbai that they have for whereby predominantly wives can send meals to their husbands. Uh, they go all over Mumbai and... Somehow, it, it, they always get to the right place. It's like a million to one. That Harvard went over, uh, some Harvard professors went over and studied it and, and, and kind of calculated that one in every a million goes to the wrong place. And this is the story of one of those, that one in a million, uh, and the correspondence that, that grows between, um, uh, between a, a man and a woman. So, highly recommended, uh, you know, little samples from all around the world. Um, any other books that, that kind of yeah, almost made a shortlist? Off, like, I got an absolute avalanche of, um, of recommendations. I'm just going to reel a few off here. The Museum of Modern Love, got a nod. A Suitable Boy by Vikram Seth. The Piano. Oh, interesting. Um, Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Ward. Obviously Pablo Neruda's poems. Eleva Oliphant is completely fine. I mean, actually, she was that was actually on top of my list because um, it's a fantastic book. Uh, an unlikely pairing, but it works and it's beautiful. And then you can't, you know, we can't, you can't not have any of Gabriel Garcia Marquez's, you know, a thousand years of solitude. Um, I mean, there's just there's just so much in there. Yeah, I think um, just. I can't even remember what book it's from, but I'm just remembering that uh, 
one of my favourite quotes about love is from Doris Lessing, where she talks about how um, it's more kind of common on relationships and love, I guess, at the same time. She says that each one of us walks around with a burning spear in our sides. And when we meet someone and we try, we decide to commit to them in that in that romantic way, it's like pulling out the spear and like and sharing your wound. Mm. Um, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's it's poetic. I think it's really quite beautiful. I think it, like like it 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 kind of communicates the the light and the dark, right? Absolutely. Which is what this this kind of podcast has been about. Yeah. Um. I hope I hope I hope everyone sort of enjoyed it. I've I've certainly enjoyed. Maybe it's something to do. I mean, you know, there's love. Talking about love, love's always a nice thing to talk about and nice thing to feel. But I'm also loving this new couch. Can I? Can I? Can I always sit on this couch? You can always sit on the couch, yeah. When we, when we record. Absolutely. And of course, you know, I'll, I'll have all the purple M&Ms for you next time as well. Bottle of Verve would be nice too. Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking, man, about what it would be like. if Maybe if we do one about, uh, like, drugs and alcohol. <laughs> we just sit here and drink uh, drink a bottle of champagne and increasingly get more and more sloshed as the hour Absolutely. progresses. But no drugs. No, no, of My course not. My mum listens to this. No drugs, mummy. Say no to drugs. Just say no. Stay in school, kids. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much and goodbye. Bye. Okay. So funny. I really enjoyed that. Did you? I did. I did. Yeah.